You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. It's America and Teresa. Hi, everyone. And today our topic is a continuation of our series on grief. Uh, The topic is what do I do? Dealing with control and grief, maybe even the loss of yourself, meaning in life. I feel like this one is the combination of several stages, but it's not in the stages officially. Yeah. It's like embedded throughout. I, I tie it really to this loss of identity of like, I don't know who I am without X thing. Whether mm. that's a, a person that you've lost or a relationship that you've lost, have had to let go of, you know, a job change. All of that is tied to like, who the hell am I now? I think of, I when I think of what do I do, I also really leans for me into the the world has shifted. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. It just feels unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to think about things I think in my head, but um, if something can just get taken away and I don't have any say about it, what does that mean about why I should try? Or <laughs> that's really horrible. That's my depression talk. No, no, no. I, I feel you. Why do anything? Why? Why? Why do anything? Why bother? Yeah. <laughs> Everything is meaningless. I like that word of unsettled. It encapsulates this experience because you don't really, you don't have direction. You don't feel comforted in any way because there is a complete lack of, I think I would say balance for me, like Mm. in this ambivalence. Ambivalence for me is huge in my life. So when I feel like I vacillate, I'm like, ah, just make a decision and feeling unsettled is tied to that entirety of, for me, that complete disconnection from being able to really move. Just, yes, man. (laughs) Do anything. (laughs) It's like paralysis. Yeah. Uh, Why is this not a stage of grief? I think people talk about it in different ways through all of the different stages. And then in some way, we don't ever... Well, I don't say, I can't say all of us, but maybe there isn't ever really an opportunity to truly sit in it and feel the heaviness of it because it can be so overpowering where you get to that point. You're like, why do anything, man? Extreme grief or grief, even little grief can knock you off your path. And I think anxiety is a lot like that, like feel mm. torn in from one direction to the next and it can just overwhelm your mind. And what's sucks about grief is it's it really does change your worldview especially if you lose like people who have lost a child people have lost a parent even when things happen in our world where things don't make sense anymore or you lose your religion these are these are kind of big things to lose and it can really knock you off but even those things that are far more tangible there are kind of events that happened There's this other kind of aspect of what you referenced earlier, this loss of safety 
even when something happens to you, you've experienced some sort of damage to your person, you know, you've been violated in some way, that in itself, even though it, it can be tied to a specific thing or, or kind of event, it's, it's a little different than when you lose like a person, you know, someone has died. When somebody dies, you go through this process of, okay, the person is, you know, maybe it's unexpected or not, but they'll get buried or cremated, whatever. There's a beginning and end to that process. But then when there's a loss of safety of you being violated in some way, or there isn't an opening and an ending. Yeah. And the risk. And people will say that too with with losing someone because you're like, if I lost one family member, can I lose another family mm. member? And your brain goes there, you know, like what is is driving safe? Yeah. I, I did ask a therapist, I think we had a webinar or something, and it was like, what do you tell clients when they just experience one trauma, one grief after another, and it doesn't feel like they have any control? Because it just doesn't end, right? Like society yeah. is continuing to assault you or people or things. And certainly like working with people who are experiencing poverty, it constantly feels like putting out fires and clawing out of impossible scenarios. Mm-hmm. And it's just exhausting. And for those people, it's like you're constantly dealing with tons of little tiny things of grief. Like you lost $20, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot for people don't have anything. Yeah. What did the therapist say? She said, you have to root yourself in what you can control. It's so it's true, but it is true. But that idea feels so foreign when you're living in it, it can come off and can be received in a way that's like, don't tell me something I already know. (laughs) Um, but when we're, when our head is like full of all this like cloudy crap, that's just hanging over us, then somebody telling you this sometimes can be like a little window that's like, Hey, let's focus on this thing. Yeah. I do think that in the moment of extreme panic, when you're feeling the loss of control, because for me, if I'm if I'm grieving and in that moment I'm ruminating over it, I'll probably induce like an anxiety or a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> I could all, all totally understand that. So like it's it's like before you can get to, well, what can you control? <laughs> in the same way, just breathing is something I can control. I don't know. I go to grounding a lot because it's just like – Touch the table, take a breath. The table is cold. You are here right now. You're alive. (laughs) And like say things like pull me back from the what ifs because the loss of control, at least in my brain, goes to the – it depends on the state. If I'm in an anxiety state, it's a lot of what ifs and bargaining. If I'm in a depressed state, it's nihilistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I go between those two spaces. I'm trying to think of the last time I did something like implementing some sort of grounding in this moment of need, and um, I haven't done that. And I'm kind of disappointed in myself because I know <laughs> I have these tools. What um, did you do then? I mean, when was the last time you lost something and just felt 
completely out of your mind. It was it was just a couple of days ago where I have this piece of jewelry that's mm-hmm. really important to me. Really, it's been with me since I was a little kid. And I lost it this weekend. I lost all sense of control. And my thing was just like, I need to find this. I need to find this. Like, what am I going to do without it? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know? And my fiance was like, let me go and help. It was in the pool that I think I lost it, right? Let me go and help. And I like freaked out. And I was like, no, don't. I want to go do it. And nowhere in this process of me trying to, one, be responsive to my needs to try to find this, but then feeling so completely out of control that I was like, oh, my God, how are you so stupid that you would lose this? I maintained myself by saying, you need to calm down. I did do that. You need to calm down. Focus. Focus. That's grounding. Yes. But I don't know what the hell I was focusing on, okay? (laughs) I was just like, I guess focus on finding this thing. But afterwards, luckily I found it, okay? Like freaking happy ending. I found it. I didn't find it. My fiance actually found it, which credit to Uh him. Yeah. And afterwards, I was sitting by myself processing and I felt so much emotion, both negative and positive. I was like, I'm so glad I found it. But then at the same time, I was like, what the hell? How can you react in that way? You lost it. Like you lost it. I think that's how it feels. Yeah. Any semblance of my ability to really think clearly and logically gone. Yeah. And I I felt really bad. I felt bad that I had been so mean. Yeah. Yeah. So mean that I was like, ah, I was like, what, what do you have to do? Or think horrible things. Yeah. Did you think horrible things? Somebody stole it. Who was the thief? Yeah. I was like, if somebody found that, of course they would have picked it up. They wouldn't have reported it, you know? Um, And I was like, you don't even know that. Like, it's probably in the middle of, you know, the thing of the pool. And at the end, I was just like, you know what? If it's gone, it's gone. And I had to, like, I had to, like, lift up my arms and just, and I'm doing that, like, physically right now because I feel that energy, right? That, yeah. Just like, okay, it's gone. You're going to be fine without it. Let Move go. On. Yeah. I think that's why in grief, it's helpful people find a lot of meaning in letting go to something greater than themselves. Like I don't have control. So something has control. Yeah. God, the universe, some meaning here that will come from this because that's what helps us transition from that space where we want to make sense of something and make sure bad things don't happen again. Yeah. So like saying, well, something must be there to, that, that will bring meaning from this and make it all okay so that there could be balance and order again in our lives. Totally. This feeling, of course, that I had is minuscule, right? Tiny compared to when you've lost a person or something that has a lot more meaning for many other people. Um, I think it just lasts. Does it, does it feel greater or does it just last longer? So the size of what you lose determines how long you wrestle with all the stages mm-hmm. and 
like the depth and breadth, you know, how deep and how wide you're going to experience grief. And and people, you know, always say, does it ever end? And I, I just don't. I just don't think that it ever ends. Like, No, not not. I don't think it ever ends either. I think it gets to a point where it's you learn how to navigate more of the emotions around it. They're not as strong as they may be. So they dissipate a little bit. Yeah. But that feeling is there and you're able to live with it in a different way. Yeah. And it can kind of come back and rear its head, but yeah. you know, you're not swimming in the chaos of it in that moment. Yeah. I think that's such an important point, Teresa. Um, the depth and length of time is definitely connected to whatever meaning that that person, that job, relationship, item, whatever had in your life. Yeah. And how important it was to to that, you know, to you within that frame. This is not anything I ever think in the moment, but looking back at my grief now, you know, you can honor that and say, that's how important that thing was, that it knocked you off in that way. And in some ways, that's a celebration of the meaning of the thing. <laughs> yeah. I think, too, part of that is maybe the the interpretation of it within the framework that you've grown up in, right? So I think about some of the customs that we have as Bolivians, like tied to the loss of a person in your life and what that looks like, which is very different from the like white Caucasian kind of rituals tied to like death here in the United States that I've seen. And it's not to say one is better than the other. It's just... Okay, well, it, tell me what your rituals are. So in Bolivia, like when somebody passes away, you burn all of their belongings. Mm. Everything from like their mattress to their clothing, you burn because there's a belief that the spirit will linger. Mm. And other things that maybe still have meaning are given away to people that will cherish mm -hmm. items from that, from that person. And... That's kind of tied to many of the indigenous roots that exist in Bolivia. And then there's the other side of it, which is also a very Catholic kind of mentality within Bolivia that, you know, after nine days you have a mass and you celebrate a mass every month for the year, mm, you know, year. and yeah. And then and when the year comes, there's a, another big mass and you're remembering the individual and all that and people are coming together. So it's kind of a, a, a mix of all of these customs. Yeah. I think ritual is really important. I mean, I think that community and people and families have identified rituals as a way to help people usher through grief and especially to regain a sense of control and balance and meaning I think that's the desire that that comes from. But even for white families, I'm married into a white family, you know, they do do the sharing of important things going into the, you know, the stuff that people have left behind who might want something looking mm -hmm. at pictures. I see a lot of storytelling, you know, recalling old memories of yeah. the past among the chaos. These are the better ways that we can process. Yeah, For Vietnamese people, because I'm Vietnamese, yeah, we do give ourselves a whole year 
And that's different from what the DSM says. The DSM says six months, which I think is totally wild. (laughs) We grieve for a whole year. We also have your ritual where we where we celebrate in the one year anniversary, like a mm-hmm. big celebration. And then for many years after every year yes. on the anniversary of their death, that's a day to remember them. Yep. But something I do think is also very interesting in Vietnamese culture is there's this sense of wailing or deep crying, like a mm-hmm. public, like cry hard. Mm-hmm. And and it's no shame in like displaying all of it. And I always thought that was interesting watching my family wail. <laughs> like it was like so out of control from the normal what what I see we have to do to put ourselves together and be in society. Yeah. I think there was some wisdom in that, you know, like let yourself just be wild yeah. because your body and your soul needs to be. And how can you do it in an acceptable space? Yeah, there. that's a very interesting tradition i think in many ways um the bolivian more indigenous folks may also do that i've seen that and i don't actually know if it's vietnamese maybe it's my family (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's based on something right within all of the framework of of who you are and your family is these these types of rituals and the way that we go about it is I think it's very interesting how there are these beliefs that we have to keep ourselves put together. You know you're going to not look well because you're going through the motions of living with this grief, but there is still this notion like, well, I still have to keep myself together. And then on the other side of what you're sharing, it's like, now we're we're just going to live the crap that we feel inside. You're going to see it physically. I think that's much harder for people to accept in different spaces because you're like, why why aren't you keeping yourself together? Yeah, people hate watching suffering. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't like seeing you freak out. They want to fix your problems, you know? Yeah. But so much of what we've talked about in in this grief series has been to accept and open yourself to the process itself. And having talked to people about grief, you know, there are things that people do that other people family members say, well, that's just not acceptable. This person threw this or just blew up or attacked me. And I'm, part of me wants to say, yeah, that's that's how it can look. But can we have empathy for what that person is experiencing in that moment? The, the overwhelmingness of emotion and not hold that against them. Part of this um, experience as well for me has helped me to in some ways, understand that it's okay to also show others that you don't have it all put together, mm-hmm. whether they're able to accept that or not. But in, in many ways, that's being vulnerable to be able to show that to others. And in the same vein, feeling and being able to vocalize, I really don't know what I'm doing because I've, I've, I've lost it all. I, I, I don't know. And sometimes through this experience, that may help others uh, like you kind of give them a green light to be, to help you along that path and say, I, I need your help. Um, I don't know what the next steps are. You got to give me time to kind of figure that out. And also to yourself, right? You don't have to have it all figured out. Someone that I know lost his wife due to a long battle with cancer. And 
you know, he talked about this idea of just doing all the things that are needed to be done after somebody passes away. And now that it's all done, what do I do? And for me, because I also have a very similar mindset, like all the things I've checked all these boxes and they're done. The hardest part of it is not doing anything and just accepting there isn't any direction right now. You just have to live with what it is that you're feeling. That's a great end and a punt to the final stage. Thank you all for walking with us through this time and space. Um, Grief is hard and a lot of people are experiencing a lot of grief. And I think when we open our eyes to it, I think you grieve a lot of things all the time. Like grief is part of what brings mental health suffering in, in a lot of ways. So, all right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us and keep on fighting. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.